Good morning. We are grateful, as has already been stated multiple times, that you are here. It is good to be together. It's even better on days like today when we can join in together and worship God. It's beautiful outside. We enjoy being in here together as well. And as it's been said, we're thankful to be back together, to have several of you joining us. It's just very encouraging. We'll continue to do our best to, to follow the provisions that the elders have put in place. Then we've asked you to continue to do that and to continue to do that as we look to starting our classes again here in just a few weeks. And uh, we'll take a bit of adjustment, but we're thankful. Uh, Sylvia let me know they were hoping to be here. I told her Bill could use two canes. He could lean on one and fight people off with the other. We could do that. Uh, we could try several things to keep everybody at bay. And I know a lot of us are wanting to get back to the, the time when we could be hugging and shaking hands and those kinds of things, but it's just good to be together, especially as we consider our worship this morning. If you have your Bible with you, you can be turning to the book of Colossians. If you'll be turning to the book of Colossians, we've spent several weeks talking about the family and about the body and the home and marriage. And when we think about preaching and we think about sermons, sometimes it encourages us to consider topics Things such as that, the Bible certainly talks about the family and the body, as we've, we've mentioned the last few weeks, but sometimes it's good for us just to look at the text and just to consider a textual study a little bit for this morning. So what we're going to do is begin in a few moments in the book of Colossians and try to take a look at a good chunk of the book of Colossians and see exactly what Paul is saying and try to make some application to ourselves. So if you have your Bible, certainly you can be turning there. In 1993... The McDonald's Corporation wanted to do two things. They wanted to make a commercial that, of course, would be memorable. And if my reading serves me right in memory, it was one of those Super Bowl commercials that is seen by millions upon millions around the world. And they wanted to include probably the biggest star at the time, which was Michael Jordan. And when we think about that, if you recall that time, there was a very famous commercial that came about that might stand out in your memory. Now, it certainly stood out in my memory, and I won't tell you how old I was in 93. I was in double digits, but it was just a few years ago. But in 1993, it stood out, stood out in my mind because Michael Jordan, the greatest athlete there, one everybody knows, took part in this commercial with Larry Bird. It was called The Showdown. And if you remember, they were going to play a game of, of shooting, if you will, not necessarily just one-on-one, -on -one for the Big Mac and the fries. And of course, McDonald's probably made no telling how much money off of this commercial. But if you remember it, they went around the gym and they shot from the floor. And then in the video, they ended up in the rafters and they ended up outside in the parking lot. And they made several statements such as, uh, we're going to bank it off the scoreboard and we're going to bank it off the bleachers and all these things. But maybe the most famous phrase that came out of that was the idea of nothing but net. And that phrase was probably the one of the commercial that sort of stuck, especially with kids at the time and those who enjoyed the game of basketball and Michael Jordan, that you would make a shot just as Michael Jordan would make it easy looking from the free throw line or really anywhere on the court, simple shot, nothing but net. And here they are playing this game that, you know, supposedly goes outside the gymnasium and everything, and they're still making it nothing but net. And it inspired a generation, a, a lot of athletes to try to live and to play in such a way like those guys that they would be able to make every basket nothing but net. When you think about the title of your lesson, if you've got your bulletin in front of you, as we're going to look at the book of Colossians, when we think about something being nothing but, it, it carries with it the idea of pure or purity. It carries with it the idea of being clean or total. Nothing but net. No rim, no bouncing around, no, no, not one of those shots that rolls around the rim as everybody holds their breath and then it falls in. Pure, clean, nothing but net. 
We're going to take our title today and for a few minutes think about, from the book of Colossians, the idea of nothing but Christ. You see, when we think about the book of Colossians, the theme is the Christ of the church. Now that's important because many people consider the book of Ephesians to be a bit of a companion to the book of Colossians. And one way that we memorize that and remind ourselves is the theme of Ephesians is the church of the Christ. We talked about this for the last couple of weeks. We went to Ephesians 4, we went to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, and we talked about the family and the body, and we talked about the parallel between the family and the home and the church. Because in Ephesians, Paul is emphasizing to those folks the church. And we said the church is important, the church of the Christ. But it's not necessarily better or worse. It's not necessarily right or wrong. But you turn over in your Bible to the book of Colossians. And when Paul is writing to those brethren, he is trying to encourage them with not the church of the Christ, but the Christ of the church. You begin to see where we're going. Because when we paint our picture this morning of nothing but Christ, that is exactly what he is emphasizing as he is writing this letter. I had the opportunity to teach this letter recently at the Greens Lake Road congregation, and and I asked the folks who were in class to go back and to read each of these epistles in one setting. Remember, they are letters. They would have come in scroll form, of course, but, but someone would have unfurled the scroll, and they would have been read before a congregation, a group of people, in their hearing just as a letter was. And so when Paul is writing these things, that's the way we need to consider it. He's emphasizing the Christ, the Christ of the church. But there's a reason why, and it sort of sets the stage for us this morning. And that is is that there was a problem in Colossae. And the problem was something that became known as the Colossian heresy. Now, when we think about it, and we know we can look back at not only Paul's letter, but but other things that were written at this time, and, and this was the problem that was going on. The church at Colossae was being troubled by a false doctrine or really, as we're going to notice here, false doctrines. It was sort of a mixture of things that was going on here. This Colossian heresy carried with it different ideas. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them were Greek. Some of them were pagan. But all of these ideas were mixing, and they were causing trouble for the church at Colossae. We're going to ask you, as we usually do in the lesson, to draw these things back to yourself, and for us at the church at Saudi to think about them here. So are there things that trouble us? Maybe not of exactly the same nature, but might we see some things that can apply to us? When we think about this Colossian heresy, let me give you a a few ideas, and we'll notice how Paul addresses them. One of the ideas was that they were denying that Christ was equal with God. So in Colossians chapter 1, in verse number 15, Paul would write that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. How many times have you heard that before? Have you ever noticed that phrase in there? It may be, may be one that you can think of, but did you know why it was there? Well, here's why. Part of these ideas, part of this Colossian heresy was that they were saying that Jesus was not equal with God. So he writes in there that he was, and he is the firstborn over all creation. Another thing was that they were denying that Christ was equal with, or excuse me, they denied that Christ came in a physical body. So look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 22. In the body of his flesh. He came in bodily form. We know that. But there are some folks who would deny it. And there are certainly some folks in that time who were denying it. So when that phrase is in there, Colossians 1, 22 there, it's not just 
For show, it's not just for filler, it's to remind them that yes, Christ came in a bodily form. They also, they also did, when we think about it, include Jewish teachings. They talked about the circumcision. We're going to get there in just a minute, but you look over in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, you see that word, circumcision. Well, they were talking about some of the Jewish things. That was a part of this Colossian heresy. And ultimately, they were exalting human wisdom and knowledge. Jewish ideas, Greek ideas, pagan ideas, all of these things were mixed together to cause this heresy and to give the church at Colossae a problem. And so as we open our Bible and we look at Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to spend most of our time in chapters 2 and 3, Paul writes very matter-of-factly and gives an answer to some of these things. He's exalting the Christ, the Christ of the church. And because of these ideas and what we're going to notice is that there are a lot more parallels than we might think. These things sound like problems they might have faced in the first century, but probably there's some problems that we still face today. The first one, beginning in chapter 2, is Paul would draw them away from philosophy, not philosophy, but Christ. Well, when we think about philosophy, it's the study of ideas, of knowledge. I would say, in and of itself, Philosophy may not all be bad to consider ideas, to consider knowledge and wisdom, but there were false teachers who by their persuasiveness were trying to deceive the Christians. Notice in Colossians chapter 2, in verse number 4, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Notice verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Remember that Paul was traveling around and some people surmise that he had never been to Colossae and that's certainly possible but he would write back to these folks from time to time and he would say, I'm not with you. How encouraging would it have been to have Paul with you? To have him there encouraging you? You would think that you could make it months or years without a problem when Paul is there but he couldn't stay in one place. He couldn't be everywhere. So he writes back and he says, I know that I'm absent, but I'm writing to encourage you. And the first thing here is to not succumb to the philosophy of the world, but to turn towards Christ. Notice verse number 8. Beware. We know what that means, right? We still have it on signs. Beware of the dog or beware of something else, but beware. Be on guard. Be watching out. Look carefully. What was the problem? Well, it was philosophy and love of knowledge. He says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and on the other hand, what's the opposite? And not according to Christ. The problem was philosophy. It was a love of knowledge and a love of wisdom. But what kind? I mean, is wisdom wrong? Well, certainly not. The Bible says we should have wisdom. So what kind of wisdom? Well, it's the wisdom and the knowledge that comes, as he says there, according to the traditions of men and of the world. That's the kind of wisdom and knowledge that we should avoid. We think about Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There are a lot of people in the world that will fill you with lots of ideas, lots of philosophy, lots of things that you can think about. When I think about today, we live in a world who promotes ideas and things. There's buzzwords and keywords. You hear people, they want to be called woke. They want to be called enlightened. We have a group of young people who think that maybe they know better than those who have come before them. And in an earthly sense, people get caught up in thinking that they've got it all figured out. 
They get caught up in philosophy, we might say. The ideas of men, the thoughts of men, they think they have figured out better than anyone else and maybe even sometimes better than God and better than His Word. But we can set that aside. That's a buzzword. It's things you hear on the news and on social media. But what about in the church? We hear people in the church carry forth the same ideas sometimes. They talk about we're going to re-examine Scripture. Or we've sat down as an eldership and we've, we've taken a new look at things and we've, we've re-examined what the Bible has to say and so we're going to change the way we practice certain things. You see, I would suggest that, that when you hear things like that, just as you hear the other earthly buzzwords, it's people who are succumbing to the philosophies of men and the philosophies of this world. God has given us what we need to live by. And when Paul is writing to those in Colossae, and we are trying to find encouragement from that, one way that he says that is don't succumb to the philosophy. Don't succumb to the thoughts and the ideas of men. Do you remember in Acts chapter 17 as Paul is visiting Athens there in Acts 17? What it is is they like to, to spread all the latest ideas. They like to show up and gather together and see who's got the, the neatest thing, the, the most progressive thought. Does it sound familiar? Just when you think you've heard it all today, someone else comes out with a new idea or a new thought in regards to marriage, the home, gender, sexuality, whatever it is, even the church. We all think we've got the new, the latest and greatest philosophy. Paul in Athens there in Acts 17 would point them back to God. And here in Colossians, Paul is saying, not philosophy, but Christ. Don't worry about all these ideas, this heresy, these thoughts that the Jewish, Greek, and pagan ideas, but Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on through chapter 2, and notice beginning in verse number 11, he would say, not legalism, but Christ. Now, as you begin in verse number 11, you see some things you're familiar with, such as the idea of circumcision that we talked about just a few moments ago. But another passage that you may be familiar with here in Colossians 2 is verses 13 through 14. Notice he says, And you, writing to them, it's a letter being read, and you, as you hear this, you, being raised, or excuse me, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all, your, all trespasses. Verse 14, here it is, having wiped out, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and here's the phrase, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Wiped out. It's gone. And when he's writing to those folks who are being held to these Jewish ideas, he's telling them it's done. And so we turn to Colossians 2.14 a lot, and we point out the fact, and we talk about the old law being nailed to the cross. Jesus taking it to the cross, and it's true. I don't mean to, to make fun of it or anything, but that's usually the way that we say it. But in context here, what Paul is saying is that those people, and we as well, don't need to succumb to the idea of legalism. The idea of legalism. Because notice in verse number 15, he continues on. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made, that's Christ, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Those things were wiped out. Christ gained the victory. He gained the victory over the earthly powers. Think about the rulers of the day, the Roman rulers and people that were persecuting Christians and doing terrible things. Christ tri triumphed over that. Think about the spiritual powers. We think about Satan and those in the spiritual realm who, who would try to attack us. He triumphed over that. Those things were wiped away. 
He triumphed over it in his death on the cross. So notice verse 16. So, there's that word there. So, so since Christ won the victory, legalism, the Old Testament law, all of these things are done away with. And notice he begins to give some examples. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Looking down in verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Now, unfortunately, we're not going to have time to get into all of those things, but you pick out some things, you hear some things that don't sound familiar to us. He's writing to them specifically in the moment about some of the legalistic Old Testament things that they were facing. But as we make application, I ask you, is there something else today that we draw lines on or that we are legalistic in? You see, unfortunately, the churches of Christ oftentimes get a, a bit of a bad name and a bit bad rap. And we're called legalistic. It can be true maybe about some folks, but not many we're simply trying to follow the Word of God. And people who have the new ideas, the new philosophies, would look at those who are trying to follow the Word of God and write them off as legalistic. We have to find the right balance in things. But here's the thing. We're not worried about new moons. We're not worried about the Sabbath. We're not, we're not trying to bind sacrifice and, and offering a lamb up here this morning on anyone. But are there other things that sometimes get in the way? It's possible. Notice verse number 20 then, continuing on in that section. Because of these things, therefore... Therefore, if you died with Christ from the, the basic principles of the world, why, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? These are some of the things that we might put forth even in today's society on people that are not necessary. They might be called legalistic. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. And then notice he concludes this section in verse 23. These things, all of these things that are legalistic, all these things that we sometimes put too much stock in, if we're not careful, they indeed have an appearance of what? Wisdom, self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. And notice he sums it up pretty simply, but are of no value. Those things are of no value to you and to us. Why get caught up in them? I challenge you, read this as a letter. Read it with the emotion of Paul as he says there in verse 20, right in the middle. Why? You can imagine. You can hear him asking. I've taught you these things. You died with Christ, didn't you? Why then? Why would you go back and do these things? But they are. They're getting caught up in the legalistic ways of, of the old law. And he's already told them it's gone. Christ died. And he nailed it to the cross, as we say. And we don't have to worry about legalistic things, but Christ. Notice verse 20 again. If you died with Christ. Not legalism, but Christ. If you're with Christ, you've got to set those things aside. And then the third thing that we would notice before we really begin to think about ourselves is not carnality, but Christ. Now I'll tell you, the Bible that I'm using has these words in the heading. And when I came to this, I thought, man, I just don't like that word. You know, I, I don't know, we understand it, we don't use it today. But it sort of fit along with the others, not philosophy, not legalism, not carnality. But what are we meaning when we say that then? What are we talking about? Well, of course, to be carnal or carnality is to think about being earthly, to think about being temporal, to think about being worldly. And so we don't need to go with the temporal things, the temporary, the worldly, the earthly things, but Christ. And so notice as he begins chapter 3, there's a if-then. 
So what's he talking about? Remember in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, if you are buried and if you are raised. Buried with him in baptism, raised with him through baptism. If then you were raised with Christ, hearkening back to that, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seek those things. Focus on Christ is what he is saying. Focus on the things above where Christ is. Well, okay, that's great. I got the idea, but what is carnality? (laughs) All right, what are we talking about? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging, of course. Look at verse 5. He begins to list the things. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, earthly, carnality, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, you know, I usually read from the King James Version here. You may have some other words there, but we see in verse 5, actions. We see some actions that we need to avoid. If we need to set aside the carnality in the earthly ways, what is it that we need to avoid? What's these things? Fornication, covetousness, idolatry, uncleanness. And I ask you again, sound familiar? The world around us, we lament all the time, is full of sin and uncleanness. It is. What are we going to do about it? Well, for us, individually, we have to put those things to death. These earthly things we have to set aside and not focus on carnality, on earthly, but Christ. See, there are a lot of things in this world that we think are not a big deal. We try to set aside the movies that we, list, that we watch, the music we listen to, the places that we go, the things that we fill our mind with. We try to set them aside. It's not important. It's not a big deal. It's my downtime. I'm taking it easy. I'm not thinking about these things. But we begin to focus on the earthly. He doesn't stop there. Go down to verses 8 and 9. And he lists some attitudes along with the actions. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Here's another list from Paul. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Beginning in verse 9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So we've talked about some actions and you might say some of these are actions too, kind of, but, but there's some attitudes there as well that we have to set aside. We have to put them off. We have to avoid getting caught up in these earthly, carnal things. And we need to seek that which is above. We have to focus on Christ. So what does all this look like? What what is it that one who avoids legalism, one who avoids philosophy, one who avoids carnality, what does that look like? Well, Paul uses an interesting phrase here. We've already read it a couple of times. Put off, and he says in verse number 10, put on. Well, what are we to put on? Well, the new man. You see, it's not carnality, it's not philosophy, it's not legalism, but we are to focus on Christ. What does that look like? We look like new people. We look like new brothers and sisters, a new man. And Paul makes a great description here. He gives us a great idea that we can understand. We change clothes all the time. We have our fancy clothes and we've got our relaxation clothes and our play clothes. We change clothes all the time. And you've heard lessons before about how we want you to not come on Sunday morning and put on your nice Christian idea and clothes and then go home and take them off and put them in the closet and live your life during the week. 
It's exactly what Paul is saying here. We have to put off those things and leave them off. Notice that he says in verse 5 again, not just put them off, but put them to death. That you can't just pull, put them, pull them out of the closet whenever you want to. And you need to put on the new man. So for avoiding these three things, we're focusing on Christ. We want to be new. And once again, Paul doesn't leave us hanging, but he emphasizes what exactly that looks like. Look at verses 12 through 13. If we are to be the elect of God, the new man, avoiding these old things and these earthly things, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We have to put on all of these attitudes. We might call them our Sunday best, that's fine, but you can understand looking at these things what it means to be a new person, a new man in Christ. Put off and put to death these earthly ways and put on the new man. But he doesn't stop there. Let's look at a few more as we conclude the lesson. Putting on love. In verse number 14, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Do those other things not matter anymore? Absolutely not. They do still matter. But we understand when he says put on love, if you've read anything else in the Bible about Christ and what he did, the example that he laid, if you read any of the other words of Paul about love, you know that that sort of sums it all up. The ultimate way of saying it. Put on love. I challenge you here as we begin to look at these things and you think about yourself and this congregation, are we doing that? Are we bearing with one another, forgiving one another? Are we putting on love? Because in a world that continues to fuss and fight and have problems and division, are we going to let that infiltrate our lives and our congregation here? Well, hopefully not. I don't think anybody's going to stand up and say that they want that. But we have to work. Putting to death and putting off these things, forgetting the philosophy, legalism, and carnality ways, but to be a part of the new man. That is in Christ. Number one here, putting on love. What about letting the peace of God rule? Just reading down through the rest of chapter 3. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Verse 15. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. I'm afraid that too often we rely upon this world. And we rely upon our doctors and we rely upon the government and we rely upon each other in some ways too much instead of relying upon the peace of God. We seek out so many things here to bring us peace, and so often it doesn't. It just brings frustration. When we rely upon God and we turn to Him for peace, when we let the peace of God rule in our lives and we're thankful, we see that things seem to go a little easier most of the time. But He doesn't stop there. Notice verse 16. Letting the Word of Christ dwell in you. Now this is another one of those passages that is very famous to us and very well known in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Because if we're not careful, we only look at it when we talk about singing. But what does He say? And what does He say in the context that we're talking about? Yes, it's about how we should sing, but it's that when we're doing these things, we let the Word of Christ dwell in you Richly in all wisdom. Do we do that when we're singing here together? Do we do that in our earthly lives every day? Because it shouldn't stop here. It's not something that we leave here. It's not something we take home and set aside. But we let the Word of Christ dwell in us. 
Do you know someone like that? I, I venture to say that all of us could go around the room and we could name somebody who is like that. So if you hold that person up and you think about them in that way, why can't you do the same thing? Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Notice he says in verse 17, doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed. And here's where I usually remind you that we say, well, what we choose for breakfast doesn't matter. The clothes I choose to wear to work, they don't matter. What I turn on the television doesn't matter. How fast I drive or what I say to the person at the store in the parking lot, that doesn't matter. All these things don't matter. But Paul says, if you set all the earthly things aside and you want to focus on Christ, then you need to do all that you do. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a challenge to those folks there. What a challenge to us today. If we are truly focused on Christ, then everything we do focuses on Him. It permeates our body. It just oozes out of us as we meet people with the words we use, seasoned with salt and with grace. The actions that we take, people look at us and they know we are a Christian because everything we do is in the name of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He says that in doing these things, we should give thanks always. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Put on love. Let the peace of God rule. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Do all in the name of the Lord and give thanks. Is that the way we're choosing to live? As we conclude our thoughts here, you can put your Bibles up or your notes and you can pull your songbook out if you choose to use one. We're about to extend the Lord's invitation, but I got a question for you first. And here's really where this, this sermon kind of came from. I love the idea of looking here in chapters 2 and 3 and it being really nice and neat. These three things that we should avoid and set aside. That we remind ourselves not to just simply focus on the Colossians and say, oh, well, they had to deal with these things, but we don't. No, we deal with philosophy of people. We deal with legalism. We deal with carnality. We deal with those things. It's hard to believe, even as Miss Sylvia wrote for us there, that it's been a year. Hard to believe that it's been a whole year since we've been dealing with the things here upon this earth. During that time, especially back last spring, but even through the summer and the year, we've talked about focus. We've talked about priorities. We've asked you to think about where you spend your time. We've been examining ourselves and asking people to consider things for a year now because we put things on pause, certainly for a while. We stopped our services. People maybe didn't go to work. We put life on pause to focus. And we said, let's focus. Let's re-examine. Let's take advantage of this and think about our lives, examine ourselves. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, there really shouldn't have been much of a change. If you're a Christian, you should live every day focused on Christ. So yes, our lives changed a year ago, but it really shouldn't have been that we had to refocus or re-examine because we should spend every day focused on Him. Now as we know, we're not perfect. We're going to fall away. We're going to mess up. And at times we're going to need to re-examine ourselves. And maybe you found yourself there in the spring. It's easy to get caught up in our lives and all that we have going on. But every day, nothing but Christ. Where is your focus? Is it on Him? Is it on Him as you wake up in the morning, as you lay down at night, as you go to work, as you interact with people in the grocery store or the ball field? Where is your focus? 
We were thankful for a time that we could be paused maybe and re-examine our lives. But may we strive to do better each and every day. That even when something interrupts our lives, we don't necessarily have to stop and shift because we're already there. We're already focused on Him. That begins this morning by being a child of God. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You've never really focused on Him. You've never fully submitted to Him in baptism, being buried with Him, as Paul talked about there in Colossians, rising again to walk in newness of life, having your sins washed away by His blood, fully focused on Christ. We'll be singing to encourage you this morning that you would make that commitment. The water is always ready here. We can baptize you for the remission of your sins and the Lord can add you to His church. But I would challenge you, maybe you remember that time. Maybe as you think about that day when you were baptized, you think about that moment, and for at least an hour maybe, or 24 hours, there was one thing that was the focus of your life. It was Christ. But certainly, life gets in the way, things get us down, and we wander away from God. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. Maybe you need to come back to Him. Maybe it's sin in your life of a public nature that you'd like to make known. We're thankful for our elders who will come forward, one of our elders, and will be willing to pray with you and for you. Maybe it's not a sin, a particular public sin, but maybe it's just prayers for strength. We are so thankful that you are here and we can be back together so that we can encourage one another, not only in prayer, but in this moment in song. If you have any need, we'd love to help you, even now as we stand together and as we sing.